This is Hope After Hurt, a Yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. Special thanks as always to everyone who is sharing this podcast and sharing all of our social media platforms. And if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you, invite someone in on this journey with you as we discover hope after hurt. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing church hurt, sharing stories of disappointment, and talking about the future of community. And all of this comes with a goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building better leaders for generations to come. I'm really excited about today's episode. We're going to hear from a special guest with tons of ministry experience, and they're going to help us talk through the difference between belonging versus fitting in. And then we're going to get to some of your questions. Special thanks to the over 35 people that submitted questions to be gone through and discussed on this podcast. And so we're going to get to as many of those as we can. But first, let's dive into our interview with Felicia. Hey, I'm really excited for you to hear an interview with Felicia Renner. She has nearly a decade of experience in ministry. She just cranked up her YouTube channel, Beauty for Ashes. That's B-E-A-U-T-I for Ashes. And I have had the blessing and the opportunity to serve alongside her. She's a great friend. I trust her, and I think she's going to bless you today. Welcome to the podcast, Felicia. How are you? Hi, I'm well. I'm really good. Good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. And I know that yeah. me and you, we've talked a little bit about our ministry experience and we've experienced some similar things. One of the things I know you're really passionate about is just trying to make people feel welcome, even mm-hmm. if it's just in a conversation, feel like they belong. And so I, I wanted to kick off things today by just talking to you about like, when you're coming on to staff or maybe even you're just part of an organization, what happens when you feel like, man, I'm just like not fitting in, like I'm not fitting the culture. Like, yeah. what do we do about that? Speak to that for a little bit. Yeah, I've definitely been in that situation before and it can be hard. It can be uncomfortable. You can have that uneasy feeling, but it's possible. It can be done. I remember starting a position a few years ago and coming into work on my very first day on staff and immediately feeling like I didn't fit in. Mm. I felt looked different than everyone else. I uh, dressed differently. I had a different box. I just felt like (laughs) um, I was different. And for me, honestly, when I stepped into that position, it was a big culture shock for one, right? Because I had lived in New York for a really long time and I was so used to New York culture and New York diversity. Sure, I was used to seeing people that looked like me, people that you know, from all over the world, different countries, different parts of the world, hearing different accents, like seeing different 
races and cultures, that was my norm. That was what I was used to walking in. And so when I started that particular position, I immediately felt, you know what, this is different. I felt like the outsider. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the representation of people that looked like me or people that had my, even my life experience. Sure. I didn't see that either. And so I immediately felt what I didn't fit in. I felt like there wasn't a place for me. I felt like I was going to have to work so much harder to be seen and to Mm. be noticed and to be considered a a part of the cool clique because I didn't have the same experience as everyone else. So I wasn't in the same place in life as everyone else. So I know that feeling and I know how hard that can be because I've definitely dealt with that before. Do you feel like it's, have you like felt like that it's become more the responsibility of the new hire to find their way into culture as opposed to the staff that's already there being like welcoming and inviting people in on that? Yeah, I definitely feel like it should not be all on the new hire. The staff that have already been there, they definitely have a role to play in making sure that person that's new to the team feels like they belong because there's such a big difference in fitting in and belonging. Mm -hmm. If I go into a place and I feel like I have to fit in, that means that I'm going to be willing to change who I am to fit the way everyone else is. That means I got to be willing to change the way I dress, um, to change the way I do my hair, to change the way I talk, to change the way I walk so that it mimics everyone else around me. But if the people that are already on staff create a sense of belonging, there's this feeling of inclusivity that you get, right? You're included as a part of this group. We celebrate your differences. We welcome your differences because we need to have your perspective. And so I do think that a lot of that lies on the staff that's been there to create the space for the new person to share their wisdom because their experience may be very different from everyone else. And you need that. You need those different perspectives. I think that's a really good point. And when you're talking about belonging versus fitting in and making sure your experience is valued, your voice is heard, because in that environment, you don't feel as valued. You don't feel like your word has as much merit. In my experience, when that happens, like people shut down and they just check out. And then as an organization, we look back and go, man, we've had a lot of turnover and we just, (laughs) and we're trying to put a, we're trying to put a reasoning on it. And it's, we have to change how we hire people. We have to change the structure of how we interview people. And it's, have we ever thought past that? Have we ever thought Mm -hmm. that maybe once they get here, we're not doing our job, especially in churches as the body of Christ to love and welcome and bring a sense of belonging to the new hires. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. So, So speak more to belonging. What's the difference to you? What does it look like? What does it feel like when someone makes you feel like you belong? I really like what you said about the response um, to not being welcomed, right? Is you shut down. And that's very much what I felt like I did. Before I started that position, I was more confident. I would walk in the room. If I had things to say, I would share them because I felt confident in my space, in the place that I was in, in the role that I had. I knew it well. Uh, So I was confident in it. But starting that new position, walking into a, a room where I felt like I didn't belong, I did shut down. I was hesitant to speak up. I was hesitant to talk. Because I just didn't feel like that sense of belonging that I needed. And going back to your question, 
what it looks like when you feel like you belong. And it goes back to what I was saying before. There's this sense of inclusion and inclusion is all about celebrating the differences, right? That means whether you are black or white or whether you're from South America or North America or or Europe or wherever, we're going to celebrate who you are. We're going to celebrate where you're from, no matter what your life experience is. When I joined that staff, I was coming in as a divorced woman with a very different perspective than everyone else who was married and had kids and had a family. Sure. And so I automatically felt I don't know if I have anything to contribute to these conversations because I'm in a different space in life, whereas belonging in that inclusion piece would have looked like, hey, Felicia, we're working on this thing. We would really like your perspective as someone who has lived through a Mm. loss such as a divorce. What would be your perspective? How could we handle a situation like that so that other people who may have gone through your situation, they feel like they have someone that they can connect to and that they can relate? with using those differences to bring other people in right like there is there's power in our differences there's power in diversity right that's why it's so beautiful to say that we see color we need to see all the differences that are around us and celebrate them but we use that to our advantage and we allow those people that are different and in different situations in life we use their experiences to bring other people in because what i learned while I was working on staff, not because anyone like was introducing me to these people or or connecting me, but I learned that there were other people in the church that had gone through similar situations. But it's funny that when I had conversations with those people, they would tell me like, gosh, you're the first person I've ever really talked to on the staff before. No one's ever really taken the time to really hear my story. So it was almost like these people who had gone through these tragedies in life and these different life experiences weren't really counted as part of the cool crowd. So they weren't really seen. People weren't really connecting with them. Their differences and their experiences weren't really being celebrated and weren't really being honored in the way that they should. And so I think I just found more of that out through that work of, hey, let's celebrate where we are in life. Let's connect with each other, regardless of what season of life you're in right now, regardless of where you're from or what you're doing. And let's use that to our advantage to draw other people in that are in similar circumstances. Sure. That's so good. And from what I remember, you not just from a serving aspect, not just from a staff member aspect, but just who you are, you've always had this incredible ability to see people. You've always had this ability to just have great awareness of the room you're in, what's required from you in that room, and what others need. And that's something I very much envy and something I very much look to you to try and learn from. As a leader, and for the leaders listening, how can we get better at our awareness of not just getting in the speed and the vision and the pace of trying to get things done, but how can we get in the habit of really having that kind of awareness on our staff and around the people that we're leading so that everyone is spoken to and everyone does feel valued and everyone does feel a sense of belonging? What as leaders can we do to program ourselves in that awareness? Slowing down is a big part of it. 
Because when you're working for a church, everything is go, oh, right? Sunday yeah. mornings, do this, put this in place, make sure this is right and this is there. But I think sometimes you have to slow down to really see the people that are around you. Because when you're caught up in that fast pace, all you're seeing is the volunteers that you need to tell to go put the flag here and to go mm-hmm. put the reserve sign there mm-hmm. and to do this. Yep. But when I slow down and I just take a minute that I can really see people and I can really stop to have the conversation conversations to really get to know who they are and what their story is. And sometimes it takes doing things that are out of the norm, serving in positions and in places where other people may look down upon because you're on staff. You're on staff. Why are you back there in the kitchen doing stuff in the kitchen? The ladies in the kitchen need love too, right? (laughs) Right. The ladies in the kitchen, they have stories to tell. There's things that are happening in their lives. And I had great conversations with the ladies in the kitchen who were often overlooked and forgotten about. So I think... Number one, we have to slow down. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to stop and to pause and to truly see who's around us. And number two, we also have to tell ourselves that it's okay to take on duties and responsibilities that may seem below us mm. because of our positions, but that's okay because that's where the greatest needs often lie when we're willing to take on those positions and to take the pause and to just take a moment to see the people around us. That's really good. I heard a leader one time share, if nothing is beneath you, then nothing can stop you. Mm. And I've always thought about that. And that's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah. It's, it is hard to humble yourself and really not That's look real at position, thing. but really go, hey, I, I'm going to serve the moment and serve the people. And I think everything yeah. that you just talked about of just having the awareness to speak to people and spend time with people and slow down. That's that's the church. And that's yeah. the future. And, and that's Jesus. Jesus. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, you're that good. You're right. Yes. Literally, that is what Jesus did when he walked the earth. He stopped. Yep. Think about the woman at the well. It wasn't a, hey, get me some water. Now I'm going about my way to do the next thing. It was <laughs> right. like, give me some water. And now I'm going to sit down. and I'm going to have a conversation with you. And I'm going to tell you all about yourself. Right. That was Jesus. He was taking on the duties and the responsibilities that nobody else wanted to do. He was connecting with the people that nobody else wanted to connect with. He was stopping. He was pausing along the way. Even when he had the next destination in mind, I think about when he was going to heal Jairus' daughter, right? And the woman with the issue of blood stops him along the way. He stopped. He He paused. And he saw her in that moment. There was never this sense of like, I'm too busy to connect with people. He always made time for people, especially the people that no one wanted anything to do with. Those were the people that he connected with and he stopped to see. That's what Jesus did. And if we're supposed to live our lives like him, we got to take notes from this. That's what he did. It certainly can't be beneath us. That's so good. For me personally, you've done a great job today of just helping me gain some perspective and really been a blessing just in this conversation for me to go, man, there's some things I'm doing. I need to slow down. There are some conversations I need to have. There are some people that, that I need to make sure I don't overlook. And so I know that our listeners are feeling the same way. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time. Can't thank you enough for your perspective. And thank you for joining the podcast. And thanks for just being my friend. I really appreciate you. Thank you for being my friend. I really appreciate you. And I'm really proud of you. This is amazing. Back at you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Did you know that Drew's family can help you with shipping, printing, packing, shredding, 
branding, and every ing imaginable? That's right, they own three of the UPS stores in North Carolina. If you're near the city of Cary or the Clayton, North Carolina area, please make sure you stop into your local, the UPS store, and say yes to local family-owned business. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. And man, we're about to dive into your questions with a special Q&A here. Again, special thanks to the over 35 people that submitted questions to be asked on this podcast. We're going to get to as many as we can. But Joe, one of the things that I found is that a lot of the questions started aligning with each other. Yeah. So what I tried to do is if I saw a common theme, I definitely wanted to take a question from that area. So even if we don't read your question specifically, I think we're going to get to a, a majority of the questions. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what these questions are. Oh, absolutely. Here, here we go. Let's dive in. So one of the questions that we got is how do you forgive someone that does not see their wrongdoing and or is not sorry? So how do we forgive someone that basically either doesn't know they messed up or doesn't care that they messed up? And that's a question that, again, a, a lot of people wrote in on, on trust and forgiveness and how do we deal with these tension moments? I, I think it's important for us to remember that as Christians, we're a people of grace, that we don't just look at other people's mistakes, but we remember our own and we remember where God found us. But we also have to understand that sin is first a sin against God and not against each other. Yeah. Are you like me in that when someone like hurts you, your first thought, or even you hurt someone else, your first thought is that it was just between those two people? Are you able to quickly get to the moment where you're like, no, that sin was against God? Yeah, I don't know that I'm super quick on that thing specifically. I right. think this question, though, I've heard it many times, and certainly your heart goes out to anybody asking this question because they've obviously been hurt. Sure. And um, they're probably going through something that's causing them to bring this up. And mm -hmm. I think we do a thing a lot in church where we use like little kind of Responses that are true but feel trite. And I think the most common true but trite approach to this question is well, you're not forgiving them for them. You're forgiving them for you, which sounds great on paper, but doesn't really help. And sounds like it's a one-time thing. Yeah. Like if I like forgive you, there's no process to yeah. it and I'm just better now. But I think it's probably more likely that it's two questions that people are asking because forgiveness can be a little bit transactional, but it might have to do that transaction again the next time you think about it. <laughs> yep. And then repeat for the next couple oh, of years, absolutely. depending on the offense. Sure. But I think the question maybe behind that question a lot of times is how do I restore the relationship, which is, that's a bigger thing. Absolutely. Because um, forgiveness can happen and then nothing can change in the relationship really. And I think that's, people might be asking like, how do I fix this? How do I get this relationship back to the way that it was before? Right. And that might be a longer answer. So I think it's fascinating you brought that up because one of the questions that was also asked that kind of went along with that is, is forgiveness and trust the same thing or at least tightly bound together? And when I saw that question, I thought exactly what you just said. This is someone that is, is looking to forgive feel better about their approach in the relationship and then search to restore the relationship. The challenge is if that's one-sided, 
then you're just, you're forgiving for you, but you're forgiving because that's who we are as a people. That's what we're called to do. 70 times seven, right? But we're called to trust one person. So we're called to forgive like every offense. Yeah. But we're only called to trust one person. And so that made me think if we're trying to restore the relationship, if we're trying to build trust in the relationship, then that relationship should exude and be an example of our relationship with Christ. So I trust my wife. That should be an that relationship should be an example yeah. of my relationship with Christ. So if you're trusting someone, that's not the same as forgiving. We want to always forgive, but there are a lot of people that I have forgiven, but I don't trust them. Yeah. Because the relationship is not built in a reflection of Christ. Does that make sense? It does to me. I, I do think they're different things. And I think sure. they're different in the way that forgiveness can feel like a transactional thing. Yes, I forgive you. And it, it might you might have to do it over and over again, like we were saying, but trust does feel different in that it is it feels a lot more reciprocal than forgiveness. Mm. Like I feel like you can forgive a one sided thing where let's use this a trivial example, somebody cuts you off in traffic. You can get mad at them all day, but they're just going on with their day. Like Man, totally. They're not thinking about you anymore. No. And you've let them ruin your day by holding on to this thing <laughs> and feeling like justice needs to be served. And there's just no justice, man. You got cut off. You got cut off. <laughs> it just is what it is. We've all been there. And but that's one of those examples where it's really easy to be like, yeah, forgiveness is for you. But and I think that's why they're so closely bound because when somebody that you know well or that you have an intimate relationship with does something to harm you or does an offense against you, it's it does feel like that's a whole lot more tied to trust where you don't bring up trust with the person that cut you off in traffic. Well, I don't trust you right. anymore. Okay. So essentially never did. So essentially <laughs> what you're saying is the depth, right? So it's the depth of the relationship prior to the offense. Yeah. And I think like just to use the wife example, like I let my wife down um, various ways in various <laughs> seasons of our, of our life. And well, let's dive into that. Joe. It's, let's, it's relatively <laughs> easy for my wife to forgive me. Because right. she knows my intent and she knows that I have a track record of making mistakes, but I can't rush the building back of trust. And that just takes what it takes. Right. I can't be like, why are we not better right now? Because you just hurt my feelings. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Why can't we go back to where we were a couple minutes ago? Because my feelings still hurt. It's a process. Yeah. Totally. You can forgive somebody and still be dealing with the feelings where I don't know if trust is that way. Can you just implicitly trust somebody when you're, I have no... Trust? I guess not. I just answered my question. Yeah, I think you just answered it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And again, I love that we broke it down into like different relationships and different examples because I do think I do think there are moments where it's like, all right, I'm going to forgive that person. You don't think about it again. Like it's it really is like yeah. that one moment. There's other times where you've put a lot into that person. They've put a lot into you. You've spent time with them and there's a certain expectation that action of forgiveness, like you said, is something that has to be repeated because it is very much a process and yep. the emotions are high in that. It's tied to your feelings and your feelings aren't necessarily right or wrong. Your They're feelings. just your feelings. Yeah. That's really good. Thanks for the question. Another question we got is when do you know it's time to leave a church? Now I got this from what I can assume are congregation members. And I also got this from what I know are current staff members. Does this leave a church or leave the church? No, it says leave a church. Okay. 
So I think that's an important note to, to put in there because we are called together and be the body of Christ. We are called and, and told not to forsake gathering as the community. Mm-hmm. So a church would be this conversation, whereas the church would be a completely different conversation. If it was right. the church, we would very simply go into biblical principles and understand what we're called to do. From a church, I think congregationally and staff-wise, those can be different answers. My, my first thing, though, because unfortunately, I've had a lot of these conversations over the last two years. Right. Like I would say ballparking, I've probably had somewhere between 20 to 30 conversations with staff members that are going, when do I know I should leave a church? Yeah. And that's really scary. And Marianne right? in her episode mentioned right. that. Right. That seems this. to be a lot of the conversations go that way when she's doing consulting or working Absolutely. with church staff people. Absolutely. And so the first thing I always go to is, well, you really got to start with praying about it, asking God for clarity, but also being willing to understand you might not get the answer you want. So for one example, uh, a few months back, I had a friend of mine, congregation member. He didn't know if it was time for him to leave. He started praying about it. The answer was one, the answer we were hoping for and that we were joining in prayer was that he would stay at the church, loves the church, but ultimately was seeking clarity. And literally three weeks later, it was like, oh my goodness, God is made it so clear that I can't stay here. And so I think you got to start with prayer and I think you got to be open to the answer not being what you want. But for you, like how would you approach that question? How do you really know it's time to leave a church? I've lived this question before, having worked on multiple church staffs. Mm -hmm. And I think if I learned anything from going through it, and this again, it probably isn't going to be the answer that you want, but you're you're probably considering leaving the church because of some offense or because of some misalignment or because of some kind of hurt. And an organization can't be held responsible for hurt. Here's another way to say it. The church can't apologize to you for screwing you over. The church isn't person. And so the person that hurt you is there. And you can try to restore that relationship. Sure. But I think we, we try to oversimplify that at times. And we try to make it about an organization because it's easier. Because an organization doesn't have its own set of feelings. And you sure. Like, oh, then I'll just it's find just a, black and white. I'll just find another one. It doesn't have this crap going on. Good point. Yet. Yet. It's probably more likely related to a hurt or an offense. Or it can be that you feel like the policies of an organization are unfair and have been unfair to you and overly complicated your life. But again, it's an organization run by flawed people. And if you brought that up to the right person, that might change. So this to me feels like Joe trying to answer this question is like that scene from The Office where Michael's doing one of those to the the camera interviews and uh, he just got done trying to fire somebody very badly. (laughs) And he's telling him, yeah, I I killed a deer once. Yeah, I hit him with the car and it didn't die. And so I had to hit him with a shovel for an hour. (laughs) Why do you ask? I feel like that's me answering this question. Well, for and people. I think that's important for I us. Think to... I've done it. I feel. <laughs> yeah. How do you leave a church? I feel like I can look to camera There's like a lot Michael of Scott and be like, <laughs> "You can really let it get to you for years." Yeah. And really become intolerable to your friends and family. Yeah. Um, 
That's one way to do it. <laughs> I've done it that way. It, it's funny because, and, and that's one thing I think that's good for our listeners to know. We're listen. We're doing the best we can. Yeah, you know better. You do you know, better. Like, yeah, exactly. We're we're speaking from the experience we have, and we're speaking from the experience that we've seen others go through. I do think it's interesting though that you brought up like policies, things like that. If you don't agree with the theology the mission, the vision, the ministry partners. Like if you're- That's a no harm, no foul That's a, yeah. Hey, that church is not going to want to keep you there and beg you to stay and you don't need to stay. Like you need to be in a place where you agree with all that. On the flip side though, if it is going back to just a hurt, then that's restoring the relationship. And that's also understanding that you're not going to like everything that happens. I did have a really good experience with- um, I was talking about a situation I was going through when I was at church staff with a wise gentleman who was on the church staff, and he gave me an exercise to do. And he basically said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a sheet of paper, throw a line down the middle, and on the one side, I want you to write all the stuff that Jesus has forgiven you of. And then on the other side, I want you to write down all the stuff that you feel like you need to forgive this person of. (laughs) And you were like, thanks. I'll I'll be leaving now. Thanks Thanks. for the context. Thanks for the context. Yes, that's, uh, yep, I get yep, that. I get that's it. Clear. I don't even have to, I don't even have to write it down on a piece of paper. I think I got it. Like my side would be filled with all these moral <laughs> failings and stuff. And the other side would be like, I don't like the way they spoke to me that right. one day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the music's too loud. Okay. Yeah. It's preference over perp or you're choosing preference over purpose and preference over the body of Christ in that moment. I'd love to sit here and say that there's a definite time where I would encourage you to just get out of there. I do, I do think it's fascinating though, from a congregation standpoint, I think you got to pray about it. I think you got to make sure you align theologically. You got to align with the mission and the vision. You got to align with what the church is about. If all of that checks out, then I'm with you. I think there's a really good chance that it just comes back to a hurt and a preference thing. And I would challenge you to figure out a way to either speak into that or get over it. I really would, just because you're not going to have everything your way. And sometimes hurts, like, there's a degree, right? If you were molested. That, well, yes, okay. Leave the church. 100. But I think there's a degree, right? There's definitely a degree. That's not necessarily the level I was at. If you can't agree over, like, the style of music, that's a a different level of hurt. Sure, and but but then you got to ask the question, right, what's your posture going into it? And that's when it gets to a whole different discussion. Now, I will say this. From a church staff standpoint, and look, I could be, I'll just say this, I could be wrong on this, okay? Like, I 100% could be wrong, but based on what I'm seeing, here's what I'll tell you. If you're on staff at a church, and the thought has entered your mind of, maybe I should leave, I think I should leave, I wonder if I should leave, I wonder if I should stay here, if that thought has entered your mind, you need to leave. Let me explain. I don't mean you're tired, you're mad, you're angry, you're there late, and you're like, I just want to quit this job, and it's an emotional response. What I mean is, if you have really, like, in full thought and clarity, had a a thought hit your head where you're going, I don't know if I should be here anymore. What I have found is that within six months, you're not. Mm. So it really just depends on how long you want to drag that out. And for me personally, the moment that I'm like, I don't think this is it. God, is this it? God, can you show me clarity and this is it? Within six months, I'm out. Especially when you're talking about ministry and people and relationships. 
you're all in and you're doing everything you can. And yeah, you have some tired moments. But if you get to a point where you're like, I don't think I'm all in anymore. I, I don't think you're doing anybody a service sticking around and waiting on another job or sticking around and waiting to see maybe it'll get better. If they've shown you who they are, they've shown you who they are. So again, I could be wrong on this, but based on what I've seen, the 20 to 30 conversations I've had, every single person that has been like, I'm debating leaving over the next six months, they're gone. Every single one. And I'm not saying 90%. I'm not saying 99%. Every single person, those 20 to 30 conversations that are going, should I leave within the next six months, they're all gone. Yeah, I would say like agreement or tacking on to what you're saying. Your situation is probably so unique to you. It's tough to be like, and when do you know? Look for these three signs. Blanket statements are difficult and usually wrong at some point. I guess this would be another way of saying it. If you really want to escalate that and not have that Michael Scott thing, things that you could do to escalate that is talk to the person that hurt you. Yep. Because I know, although this is a podcast about church hurt, there are good, I can think of many good examples of when I went to somebody who hurt me and shared my side of the story and the response was, didn't know you felt that way. Yes. Sorry. Yes. What can I do? And then you're like, oh, this is awesome. But follow that thing you were talking about in the previous episode. Talk about your feelings. FBC, man. Feelings, behavior, (laughs) concern. And But people want to know your perspective. And unfortunately, just like in a marriage type advice cliche, like people can't read your thoughts and you can just keep getting angrier and angrier because people don't see. But if if they saw, they'd have a chance to address it. And sometimes I feel like that's one way to potentially speed it up. Another thing would be probably the person that probably knows you best if you're married is your spouse. Have that conversation and try not to get super defensive or whatever, but just listen for their perspective again. Like, how does it feel for you? Mm -hmm. Our spouses are normally male or female playing the role of mama or daddy bear in a situation where somebody is hurting the other spouse. And so you might have to read through that a little bit. But a decision to leave a church, if you're on staff, doesn't just affect oh, you. Yeah. It affects your family. Absolutely. That church staff. And um, it's important to remember that you're called to something. You're not called away from something. I think one thing that people who haven't maybe worked on a church staff, or this is their first one, might not realize is that unlike a regular job, you're often breaking up with your church too. So you're losing a community Speak twice. to that. Yeah, speak to that. A church community, if you're on staff and your family isn't and you got kids and wives, church is the church. Right. It's your employment. If you leave for any number of reasons, it might necessitate you finding a new church if you're leaving because of a reason that yep. is irreconcilable, like a theology issue or something sure. that's just not going to change. Sure. So that's where I think what you said is right on. You got two choices. You can get over it. Or you can leave. Yeah. Uh, But I think that's connected to more than just quitting your job when you're on a church staff. Because let's be somebody that's quit. You've left church staffs. It gets weird. Relationships Oh, it gets incredibly weird. And it's fascinating looking back. I have probably one family from each church that I've been a part of that is like tight. We're never not hanging out with them. We're never not talking to them. They are our people. There's another... 60 to 100 families that don't, we have no idea what's going on with them. They have no idea what's going on with us. And every now and then they like something on Facebook. And I saw my parents go through this, which was difficult because my parents went through it in a time when we didn't have social media. So when my dad was at a church for 18 years and then 
there was a rough ending to that 18 years. To see now, over a decade later, that my mom has one person that she talks to from that church, and my dad has two people that he talks to from that church, and none of those people still go to that church. And that's it. So my dad devoted, my family devoted, my mom devoted 18 years of ministry to a church. Right. And then it's go make new friends. And that's really challenging. And then if I were on the flip side or I was the person who wrote this question in, you got to ask yourself, but is he ultimately better off? (laughs) That's the question I feel like people are really asking. Like how long before I'm better off for making this decision, like you said, that I probably should do? Yeah. Because I'm thinking about it. I probably should have done it last year or whatever. How long before I'm better off? And what's your experience with that? that? (laughs) I'll just tell you. Immediately. Yeah. Upon exiting the building. It's unbelievable how, man, that's. Well, people love a good quitting story. We don't want to quit. We don't want to. to, (laughs) People love a good quitting story. You're not wrong. There is an unbelievable sense of relief when you're like walking out for the last and sadness and there's of course sadness but the responsibility and the weight is just incredible because it's relationships you it's not something you really can measure it's so difficult right you never really know where you are you think you're winning you're trying to convince yourself you're winning but there's always people reminding you that you're losing and 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 it's definitely not for the the faint of heart (laughs) and again my experience when i've been in a position where it's just too much and it's time. Yeah, it, it is almost immediate. Now, I miss people. I right. do. And it's tough because once you leave, you, know, you don't really get to handle the narrative anymore. And sometimes your church handles that narrative. And sometimes churches do that very well. Sometimes, and I've, and I've very, been part very of well very is well. like, that's none of your business. Yeah, like, very well <laughs> is like, it's none of your business or they honor you in a great way. Some churches do that extremely well. And I've been fortunate to be part of that. Other churches that unfortunately I've also been part of don't handle it well and even skew the narrative. And then you're not there to tell your side of the story or anything. You can lose relationships or even lose understanding and respect from people, but you've got, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But I love that question. I think a great thought provoking question. I don't know that even essentially we gave you a definitive answer because I don't, it's a, you got to have a specific scenario. In in follow up, maybe try asking yourself the opposite of that question. What is it costing you to stay There you go. I like that advice. So let's move to the next question. The next three are pretty interesting. So this is from a staff member. It says, I work in first impressions guest experience. So this person's working with everybody who who shows up on campus. And it says, and I... If you're old school, that's your ushers. That's your ushers. People that open the doors. There you go. Absolutely. Seat people, anything like that. So it says that I feel like I delegate really well, but on Sunday, something always goes wrong and I have to step in and fix things. I'm always running around like a crazy person. How can I get my team to step up or what am I missing? So here, here's what I'll throw out there. As leaders, because you are the staff member and you are over it, as leaders, we want to start inward. We want to start with ourselves. So I'll, I'll throw a couple things out there just based on what you said. First, let's make sure that what you're delegating has been appropriately communicated. Understand that it's not just your job to be heard, but it's your job to make sure you were heard correctly. So your job is to make sure that what you said was heard correctly. So how are you delegating? Are you just delegating from a mechanic level? Put this tent over there, go stand over there, 
put these pins in the backs of the seats? Are you just speaking to mechanics or are you actually speaking to a motivation level? Which is more like, hey, we don't want any first-time guests to walk in here and sit down and not have a pen to write with. So it's really important that we get the pens in the back of the chair. Now, that takes longer, and that means that they get to choose how to put the pens in, but you're speaking to motivation. So I would really encourage you right out of the gate, just based on the language in your question, make sure you're speaking to the why, the motivation, and not just delegating task. Because if you're just delegating task, there's a good chance that somebody's like, not too excited about that. That might be where some things are going wrong. The other thing when you said, I have to step in and fix things, that line concerns me. And I'm worried that you might be robbing people of a leadership opportunity. So for me, my goal is I never want to play hero ball. I, I don't want to play hero ball, especially on, on Sundays. So if something's going wrong, unless it is a catastrophe, and by catastrophe I mean the wind is blowing the tent down the parking lot and it's hitting people, that's a catastrophe. Unless it's getting to a level that, that has to have someone step in, I would encourage you don't play hero ball on Sunday, but let your leader lead. Let them try and adjust and try to figure it out and then have a conversation with them the upcoming week. I wouldn't even have a conversation with them that day because ultimately your goal on Sunday is not for everything to be perfect. I know you want it to be, and I know probably whoever your boss is wants it to be, but the goal is not for everything to be perfect. The goal is for you to give people an opportunity to lead. So if you're delegating really well during the week, and then Sunday rolls around and you're having to step in and fix things, then I would say either you're stepping in and fixing things too soon or you're delegating is maybe from a level that's not deep enough. And I, again, I don't know your specific situation, but based on the question and based on the verbiage, that's what I'm seeing. And I think I have to start with the person asking the question because I don't know your team and I don't know your church and I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. I'm happy to help with that. If you want to dive in, you can always send a message to me and I'm happy to help. But just based on the language of the question, I would start with those two things. Don't play hero ball. Don't step in too soon and make sure you're speaking to the motivation when you're delegating and not just the mechanics. The next question is really exciting. How do you fire someone? See my earlier response about Michael Scott. See my earlier response about Michael Scott. <laughs> so I actually have a way that I def like that I do this, but I'm interested. Do you have a way that you like do this? Are you like this is how I fire someone? If there was a, if there was wisdom to be found in the process of elimination of doing stuff the wrong way, then I have amassed a large <laughs> amount of wisdom on this particular topic. Okay, so give me. Can you give me a bad fire story? Of where you just, you, you walked out going, that was terrible. <laughs> Do you have one of those? Yeah, this is a hard thing, like letting somebody go. It wasn't my experience that I was getting a lot of hugs after and being like, right. oh, great. And you know, you work for a church, right? So you really want to make sure that people aren't fleeing something but going towards something. And so right. sometimes it feels a lot more like trying to get somebody to stay when they don't even want to stay than it does trying to get somebody to leave. So yeah, I definitely don't have, here's Joe's two steps to do that great. And anybody that's been fired by me can attest to this. 
they could come on it. and write their own portion I of love the show it. of Church Hurt. So one of the things that that I've heard, and, and actually I was taught this, and I don't use it, in, but one of the things I was taught is to use the, the sandwich method. Sure. You've heard of this. Mm-hmm. So we want to so say, great. get out. You're the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as Joe just pointed out, it doesn't work. If, if you use this, no offense to you. I just think it's a dumb method. Probably not for firing. I don't. Maybe for certain amounts personally, of Personally, even for a one-on-one. Like you should use deodorant. I yeah. feel like you could sandwich that. Maybe. <laughs> it I think you're amazing. You smell a little. <laughs> <laughs> and I would use deodorant. But again, you're doing great things here. Even for one-on-ones and things like that. The whole like, hey, here's some good stuff. Here's some critiques, some bad things, some challenges, some things we need to work on. But all in all, I think you're amazing. Like, I just, I'm just not a fan of that. So here's, you asked, right? How do you fire someone? So here you go. This is how I fire someone. Number one, I don't use the sandwich method. Number two, I'm just honest. Okay. Like, I assume that there's been conversations leading up to the firing. Yeah, that's a big one. Right? Nobody's benefiting from you sugarcoating anything. No one. Right? No one. And so people aren't dumb. If you, so let me give you an example. What could happen if you sugarcoat something? All they hear is that you're great. You're great. Or they're waiting on you to just drop the hammer. <laughs> Do you know how terrible it is to sit in a room and go, when is he dropping the hammer? Yeah, 45 when minutes. When is it happening? Oh my goodness. Pray for me again. Here. One more time. <laughs> Pray for me and ask, invite God into the room. Dude, you're firing me. So here's the thing. I get to the point as quickly as I can. So what do you think about the people that say, if you start the conversation with like, Hey, we're going to have a tough conversation. It's ultimately going to end with you not working here anymore. So some people will say that's the last word they listen to. That's fine because this shouldn't take long. If so, the, these, this thought that you need 30 minutes to an hour to fire someone is absurd to me. It's absurd. What are you doing? Oh, you want to honor them? Do you, you're firing them. You want to honor them. You want to pray for them. You want to tell them how meaningful they are. Listen, when they go home and tell their wife or their husband about the experience and the conversation, I doubt they're mentioning all of that between you firing them and them handing in their laptop. I don't think your name's coming up for anything positive in that day. So here's the deal. Do it quick. Be honest. Get right to the point. So for me, if I'm firing someone, and usually that means we're going to meet at an absurd time. That means I'm sending you a text Monday morning going, hey, when you get here at 8.30, would you do me a favor and meet me in the uh, executive pastor's office? Sure. And bring your stuff with you. Could you bring your laptop? Could you make sure you bring, come on, man. At that point, you're either just naive or just not having a, a smart day. Okay, so when you walk into the office, I'm with you. Hey, Joe, listen, man, this is gonna be a tough conversation. I think you're probably where it's headed. But I, I want you to know we're going to walk through it with you. And I've been fired before. I prefer that method. What? Yes. It was like, hey, listen, you're not the guy. Yes. Here's some Kleenex. There it is. That's all I need. And then they just were quiet. That's it. That's it. And then if, and if I, they want to talk was, it out, was, let them talk it out. That but was like, nice for me. Yeah. I didn't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, I've had to do this method more times than I would ever want to ever want to talk about. But my way is just, again, you asked, how do you fire someone? As soon as they get in the room, hey, this is going to be a tough conversation. I, th- I think you get the, the heaviness in the room. I think you get it. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for our meeting, and then we're going to dive into it. And the prayer is short, and it's not to sit there and in, look. I've been in these meetings where there's a, a five-and-a-half-minute prayer where it's, we're having a worship session, 
All this guy's doing is wanting you to say amen and get to it. So all I'm trying to do in that moment is get my thoughts together, make sure that God is in this, make sure that God is is speaking through me and that I'm not choosing my own words in that moment, that I am speaking to encourage this person in the best way possible so that when they leave, I know they're going to be mad at me, but when they leave, at least they feel like it was handled professionally. I don't want to slip up and say anything stupid. And so that's why we're praying. We're praying for that moment, for them and for myself, for us to be big boys and girls in the room. And then it's like, amen. I wonder if at that moment, God, don't bring me into this. Maybe. <laughs> I hope, I hope, I don't know. I Maybe. And then it's, and then it's, hey, so listen, today's going to be your last day. Okay. We've talked to you about the following things. I don't think there's any need to dive back into it unless you really feel like that's needed. And then in that case, I'm happy to do it. But this is what that looks like. If there's a severance, here's your severance. If there's a two week, here's your two week. If there's any other details, you add it there. And then you go. I know that's really hard to hear. I'm sorry. Is there anything that I can provide clarity on or anything you'd like to talk through? And then if they open it up, they open it up. And if they say, nope, I'm fine, then it's okay. And that's it. And five minutes, unless they want to talk, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, tops, you're done. And look, it's emotional and it sucks having those conversations. But in my opinion, you're asking, how do I fire somebody? Just be quick, be honest. They're not dumb, you know, and please, for the love, don't use the sandwich method. That's my biggest thing. All right, last one, last one, last one. What is a time that you really knew you were winning? What is a time that you really knew you were winning? I know what mine is. Do you have one? Oh, no, you go first. So for me, there was this time I was leading a staff and we did this. It's really a silly exercise, but it ended up, working way better than I thought with this group, we did the spirit animal exercise where I asked everybody to pick a, an animal that they identify with. The goal was that we would get to know what matters to each other. And so you would have people on the, on the staff that would pick like a bear and they picked a bear because of like motherly instincts. And I'm like, okay, family matters to this person. There was another person that picked a sea otter and they're like, they're playful and they're fun and they enjoy life. And I'm like, man, having fun really matters to this person. So it wasn't like, hey, pick a spirit animal. And I'm like anti-biblical. And I, it wasn't that, although it's not like I didn't get a complaint from someone. But it really helped us identify like what matters to our team. And we started like calling each other by this. We even would send text messages in the group chat, like e emojis of the animals. It ended up being a really cool thing. And, and it's something that I didn't really know what I had when I started it. But man, it really took off and was special. We were given Christmas gifts of like little figurines of the animals. It was really cool. So anyways, long story short, my spirit animal is a kangaroo. All right. Now, I already knew that before the exercise. But the kangaroo, the, the, here's the deal. The male kangaroo specifically, first of all, I don't know if you've ever seen a male kangaroo. They are monsters. They are beasts. They are muscular. Secondly, they're family-oriented. So in a, lot of, in a lot of animals, if, like, the mother were to die, then sometimes even, like, the male animal would eat the kids or leave the kids and abandon the kids. But not the kangaroo. Nah, -uh, not this guy. The kangaroo immediately takes over the family, leads the family. And so I love that they're family driven. And then the other thing is they can't jump backwards. It's impossible. 
And that's actually why they're on the Australian seal. They can't jump backwards. They, In order to look behind them, they have to jump forward and do a 180-degree spin in the air. And I love that, that like, mindset. I always want to be jumping forward. I always want to be leaping forward. And the only time I'm looking behind me is if I jump forward and look behind me at the same time. Like, I always want to be moving forward. So anyways, my spirit animal is a kangaroo. It's a little something about me. And one afternoon, my team, just us, they didn't do any kind of fanfare. It wasn't like a, hey, look at us thing. They didn't go live on social media. It was just us in the room. And they were like, hey, we got you something. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we got you something. And I open it up, and it's a picture of a kangaroo. A really nice framed picture of a kangaroo. They all chipped in and bought me a picture of a kangaroo that I could hang up in my office. And at that moment, knowing that they weren't trying to get any kind of publicity from it, they weren't trying to show off from it, they were genuinely just going, hey, we see the work you've been putting in. We appreciate your leadership. And we just wanted to thank you. That is one of the most authentic, and nicest things anyone's ever done for me. And so in that moment, I was like, man, I'm winning with my team. And if I'm winning with these five people right here, what else matters? I absolutely 100% knew I was winning. Yeah, I would say for me, there have been seasons on church staff, so they've just been really sweet. And I think if you look through the common denominator in my mind of what those seasons were when I was in a position of leadership was just when the team was empowered and doing what they do and they didn't need a lot of oversight or management, but everybody was just strong in their roles. And then you get to this really cool point when everybody's operating like that, where it's like the sum of the parts greatly exceeds and you kind of, Oh man, that's good. And then you're like, everything just goes together and works well. And it's tough to orchestrate seasons of time where we were just running in that mode and the level of energy was just a lot of fun. That's awesome. I love it, man. This was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, thanks everyone for submitting your questions. Did you enjoy this? Did you enjoy having your questions read? If so, do me a favor, get on social media, let us know because we've got tons more questions. And so if you'd like more to be answered, just let us know and we'll let do our know best which questions. We got wrong. Absolutely. Please let us know <laughs> where we missed it. I'm sure we did along the way somewhere. Again, I want to encourage you check out all of the social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I also just want to thank you for listening to episode four of hope after hurt. And listen, if you found some value in this episode, would you do me a favor? We've seen such great response from people episode after episode in this just growing. And so would you share this with somebody? If you just enjoyed a part of this podcast, if you found some value in it, would you share it with somebody? Would you maybe even be willing to leave a review? Reviews help this podcast rise to the top of the list in searches. It allows for easier access for people. So I want to encourage you, share this podcast with someone and offer encouragement to them today. I look forward to reading your stories. I look forward to connecting with you more on social media as we continue to build a community around healing, hope, and heroes. Episode five will be out in the next couple weeks. And in the meantime, you know the deal. Keep saying yes to what God has next. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. 
If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Yes Community. On Instagram at yesco underscore community. TikTok at Drew's Barker. And for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carry. Thanks for listening.